and welcome to a Pod of Tea podcast, your go-to place for teas and chats. I'm your host, Emma, and I am joined today by a new guest, a very special guest, one Mike Tharm. Hello, Mike. Uh, hello. <laughs> hello you. Have I said your last name correctly? You did indeed, yes. I've had many names, Taharm, Tahami, uh, The Arm, and I think someone pronounced it as Ganesh at one point. Ganesh. <laughs> Like there's a T and it begins starts with a G. Okay, whatever. Yeah, but yeah no, Tharm is correct. <laughs> Casual Ganesh in there. Why not? As um, I mean, my my current last name I've only had for a few years, um, but my old last name Minahan that used to get some really interesting um, pronunciations. <laughs> and like when you apply for a card or something, mm. and the, what people would write, I think I had Mini Tan, Mini Man once that caused. <laughs> 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 That was some fun. Um, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, thank you for coming on my podcast. So, Mike, could you um, let us know a little bit about what you do? Because it's uh, very interesting. Well, interesting to some, boring to others, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am currently a, a master's degree student at the University of Central Lancashire, uh, and I'm studying stop motion animation. Uh, so my uh, whole degree is wrapped around a particular animator that some of you may have heard of called Ray Harryhausen. And he was an animator between the 1940s right up to the, uh, the 1980s. And he made about 16 feature films. You may have seen some of them. Jason and the Argonauts, Clash of the Titans, um, Sinbad Eye of the Tiger, Valley of Guanji. There's loads that I could reel off, but unfortunately we just don't have the time to go through all of them. Let's <laughs> <laughs> um, see how, how long the teapot lasts. <laughs> oh, if, if it's anything to go with my mug, it's probably a while. <laughs> oh, nice. Good. We're in for the long haul. Excellent. Oh, no, Ray Harryhausen movies are great. Yeah, if you if you haven't seen them, I definitely recommend them as a Sunday movie, like get a cup of tea on the go and that kind of cosy Sunday feel that you want where you want to watch something a little bit old school, something that you may have seen on television in the background one day, and then you'll be like, oh, it's that film, because it's surprising how many become quite iconic and that you know yeah. it's in different places yeah. I mean obviously Jack has introduced me to quite a bit of Ray Harryhausen <laughs> as you can imagine um but yeah I, I remember Jason and the Argonauts very clearly and that's mm. that's an amazing movie you only have to say fighting skeletons and you're immediately taken to that moment where you've got Jason and his uh, two other crew members fighting seven stop-motion skeletons on ancient Greek ruins um, and it's the same with any of his films, really. Every film, even if it's only just like a segment of the film, has such a nostalgic anchor to any generational childhood. Um, but it's also kind of like the kids of today will watch his films and be absolutely awe-stricken with them. So you can have like Teletubbies and what have you on the background. <laughs> and but you stick them in front of a saber-toothed tiger fighting a prehistoric troglodyte, and they're just as interested and glued to the TV as they are against, against you know, oh, tubby time sort of thing. So it's, oh, it's no. brilliant. Love it. I completely agree. We um, we had my nephews and niece round um, this weekend, and Jack took them off to um, look at the DVD collection mm. and turned to the youngest, Sebastian, and said, you know, pick what film you want. And he comes out with one of the most probably old school no one's ever seen it Godzilla movie <laughs> like where he's in the seats <laughs> and the plot was like I don't know we just fast forwarded to all the bits of Godzilla in for him and it's he's enraptured you know it doesn't matter that there was an any CGI it was yeah. a man in a rubber suit falling over in what could only be described as a bond but um, <laughs> and it was amazing and he loved it um, that is the magic of the uh, special effects, I guess, like old yes. school special effects. They oh, still they still work. 
Um, I realise we haven't mentioned tea yet, Mike. My yes, goodness. Terrible, terrible, terrible behaviour. <laughs> so what tea are you drinking today? I am drinking, uh, I think it's pronounced Diplomat, refreshing berry tea. Oh, very nice. Oh, an Aldi special. Hello. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I am all about an Aldi special. In fact, actually, so you said you're drinking a berry tea. I'm drinking um, an Aldi berry tea as well, okay. but the um, specially selected version because Ooh, special extra. Mm-hmm. I think this might have been a Christmas present. I, I went through my cupboard to try and find a berry tea so I could match you. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was right at the back, so I haven't had it for a while, so I'm quite excited. Now, question um, is, is it in date if it's been at the back? Oh, my gosh. I, didn't see. <laughs> I was talking about, oh, there is a date. Yeah. October 2019. We're Ooh, in. You're, you're we're in date. So this answers another question that I had on a podcast episode a while ago, which is, does tea ever go out of date? Because we have got some licorice China black tea in there that has <laughs> probably stuck itself to the cupboard by now. So yeah, I've, I've made that mistake before now of just assuming tea has an infinitive shelf life. You know, it'll be here millions of years into the future, way after we've been yeah. and gone and uh, ended up being quite ill after drinking it, thinking, what could be so wrong with me? I've not eaten or drunk anything different. Check the bottom of the packet. Okay. Yeah, it was about six months out of date. Oh, and, my gosh. Uh, let this be a warning <laughs> to yes. one and all. Yes. Check <laughs> you have I'm very gonna... intimate relations with the toilet after that. Oh, <laughs> No one wants that. If you've, if you've made yourself a cup of tea, that is the last thing that you're wanting or expecting. So I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna pour mine now. So I've got mine brewing in my Wizard of Chelsea. Gosh, I love this teapot. Um, it's so good. And it's got a little candle. So it's been sort of like brewing away there nicely. So let's have a pour. Got my very nice teacup for the occasion as well. So, yeah, tell me about yours, tea, Mike. Is it living up to the berry expectations? Oh, it is. I absolutely love this tea. Uh, normally, my go-to tea is um, uh, like PG Tips or um, yeah. uh, what's the other one? Um, Tetley. There we go. Oh. Uh, they've been a staple tea part of my life since oof, probably when I was about nine years old, I think. I think that's when I first, probably first started drinking tea. When and you that first was, started, great. Yeah. Um, and that was only because, and this is going to be really, really sad, but I think Jack might sympathise with me a little bit. Um, in the um, uh, in the tea packets, they used to have the little uh, gift card things that they used to give away in packets, like the, yes. the animals and the wildlife. And they had the dinosaur versions in there. And uh-huh. I was adamant I was going to get them all. So regardless that my parents were like, no, we already drink Earl Grey. We're not getting another type of tea. It's like, no, I am getting this tea. I'm <laughs> drinking this tea. I'm getting the dinosaur card on the inside of it. So, yeah, since that, about nine years old, I've been drinking uh, tea of all types, really. Uh, but I've found that in recent years, I actually prefer the flavour of berry teas over yeah. other types of teas. And I think so anything that's got like a mixed berry or just a high flavour to it, I tend to gravitate towards those really. Yeah, absolutely. I'm hoping it's not, my, the sound cut out ever so slightly then. So I'm Ooh, hoping okay. it's not on the podcast recording. It might be just through my headphones. And um, if so, there might be some funky editing that you guys are listening <laughs> to up now. And it's going to be a jazzy, maybe it's a jazzy uh, podcast or maybe you've drunk some out-of-date tea and you're not quite yep. saying that's the <laughs> who knows but um yes no the berry teas I always I've always found with berry tea that sometimes it smelt a lot better than it tasted because mm. yeah. it's very fragrant but then I've realized that's actually just part of the experience is like yeah. the smelling and mm. and then drinking I mean this one smells lovely forest fruit forest fruit infusions 
I'm not quite sure what classifies something as a forest fruit. I'm not sure either. Actually, I'm just checking mine because it's got strawberries and raspberries on the front, but I don't oh, nice. actually know uh, if it's got like an ingredient. Oh no, it has got ingredients. Here we go. Uh, so what have we got? Um, hibiscus, apple promise, uh, rose nip. Okay, uh, flavoring elderberry, raspberry, and strawberry. Oh, that sounds lovely. Mm. Now, it has been known for me to say that I am a very big fan of hibiscus. So okay. that's sounding really good. This one also actually isn't too dissimilar. This is like 45% apple, and then it's got hibiscus, rose hip, and then flavouring. Just flavouring. Who knows what the flavouring is? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Something uh, to do with that special. <laughs> yeah, that for it, the for it, the infusion is coming from flavouring. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, it does. It's nice, and it is the hibiscus style of things. I'm getting quite intrigued at the moment with a lot of iced teas. There seem to be a lot of people selling um, mm -hmm. these leaf teas that you can then have an as an iced tea. Yeah, yeah. Summer, so <laughs> might as well, might as well. Although I did hear somebody say once, and I'm talking like years ago when I was working in retail. Um, they said that if you drink tea on a hot day, it raises your body temperature so it actually feels like you're cooler than what it actually is. I and I never it. understood the science in that. I, I kind of get the idea of it, but imagining just to get hotter to match the level of the atmosphere, the heat. Yeah. It's like you're effectively cooking yourself alive. Yeah. <laughs> just to no, I don't understand that at all, but I, I've, also, I've heard the same thing. It seems mad. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's cold out. Time to get the swimwear on. Off we go. Like it just doesn't, doesn't really make sense. But um, yes, no, I'm I'm struck. The struggle is real at the moment. There are a few moments where I'm like, I really want a tea, but also like I'm melting. Yeah. So what does one do? Um, so iced tea clearly might be yeah. the answer. So uh, Mike, I know. You, oh, sorry. Yeah. Well, I was going to say I have to get hold of some iced tea at some point. It's always been one of the things that I wanted to try, but yes. then it puts me off. It's like I've associated tea as a hot thing so then to go mm. from hot to suddenly cold it's, it just feels weird but I yeah. do want to try it at some point I think maybe pick one that has a lot of sugar in and then you're gonna do you yeah. have sugar in your tea if you have uh, a builder's tea I do but do. I have a method behind it the smaller okay. the cup the less sugar I have <laughs> so normally um the standard size cups that I tend to use uh, have about maybe one and a half, two teaspoons worth of sugar. But when it comes to something like this, I have to have six teaspoons of sugar yeah. just to get that sugar level up. That is, you uh, guys can't see the mug, but that is a mighty mug. That yeah, I is can, a I can fit my fist in it. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> I love those mugs. It's great. It's saying, I'm sitting down and I'm not getting up for a long time. That's what those yeah, mugs exactly. are for. I like your sugar ratio. My, my older sister, every time I make her a tea, she goes, I would like one and a half sugars. And what she means is, no matter how much sugar you put in that mug, I'm going to say that I need a bit more. So I've tried. I've done one and a half. I've done one and a half heaped. I've done two. And she's she's always like, mm, not quite a half, is it, Emma? So, oh, put some more in. Oh, quite uh, funny. It's worse for me with the, uh, the sugar sachets that you get in restaurants. Because to yeah. me, they say that's what the equivalent of a teaspoon is like. It's not. It's a fraction. I have to get about six of those just to get the equivalent of my two teaspoons in yeah. I was like, I don't care. <laughs> I'm trying to shortchange here. We will not stand for it. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, so what I was going to ask is, could you explain, you've got a really cool project on at the go, um, the wildlife on Mars, and I thought maybe you could give a little overview, because I think that's going to be an excellent watch to have on a Sunday with a cup of tea. I by the so. looks. <laughs> 
Um, so basically, um, way back in 2005, when I was doing my um, BA level of uh, the animation course at the same university, um, I devised for my third year film that I wanted to do a, a stop motion creature feature, but I didn't want to do something with people because that sort of thing had been done so many times and I wasn't feel confident that I could find any kind of acting student in the university that would quite understand, you know, now I want you to stand there and scream like you've got a giant gorilla in front of you and <laughs> just be confused by the whole ordeal. So anyway, um, I was trying to think of, right, okay, so what do I want to do that's something stop motion but different? And at the time I was thinking, right, well, dinosaurs are quite popular because this was around about 2005. So we'd, we'd just got the uh, Peter Jackson King Kong. We'd also in recent years got uh, Jurassic Park 3. So dinosaurs were still very much in kind of like the, the public eye at that point. Um, but I didn't want to do just another dinosaur pick because hundreds of people do that. And nine times out of ten, you type in stop motion dinosaur on YouTube and it's all Lego and really crude puppets or oh, okay. you know, all the like the retro stuff from back in the day, which is fine, but it kind of drowns out any uniqueness about it. So I, I started to think, right, okay, how can I put a different spin on this? What can I do? What can I do? And I remembered that one of Ray's previous projects that he never got off the ground was Sinbad Goes to Mars. And as a crazy of an idea that is, it's kind of based on the John Carter sort of idea. Yes, so whereas yeah. it's rather than a cowboy that gets sent up to Mars, it would have been an Arabian sailor that, and his crew that gets sent up to Mars. And the idea was that on Mars, you would have these prehistoric dinosaurs in parts of, of the Martian landscape. And I thought, oh, well, wouldn't it be interesting if I could do alien dinosaurs? And I started coming up with all these different, different combinations of like, right, okay, so I've got this T-Rex. Now, how can I make it something identifiable to kids? Right, okay, well, in Martian literature, say from John Carter, all the uh, creatures have four arms. So what if this T-Rex had two tiny little arms that kids could identify as being a dinosaur, but then it had all these larger arms that would also oh. be an adult thing? Ah, it looks like a dinosaur, but it's not. So there's that, that different level play going on. And then it was thinking about, right, okay, so T-Rex bite force, what can that do? Right, well, I won't do it like traditional jaws. I'll do it like pincer teeth. So it has the same idea, but it's a different evolutionary trait. And the whole project just kind of like blew into this massive like BBC One wildlife documentary idea. And I just suddenly realised how big this project was becoming uh, with all these different creatures. And I had to select four of them animate the damn thing get all the sets built and it was brilliant to look at but then afterwards when i uh, watched it over my uh, degree show i realized that 10 minutes of watching herbivore eat plants and then get eaten by carnivore rinse and repeat for the second scene and then the two carnivores from each previous scene clash and get eaten yeah. was really dull and boring. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the idea was there but it just wasn't executed very well so after that I kind of kept playing around with the idea and, and trying to figure out what I could do with it and eventually I was going to come back to it at one point and then in 2011 uh, I was volunteered at the Bradford Animation Festival and a friend of mine who uh, is now the director of the Manchester Animation Festival try and get up if you want to see something mm. really really cool at some point it's really good stuff there um he suggested to me that there was a, a competition that had just been released on a website and the contest was to devise a storyboard uh, for the Ray Harryhausen Foundation oh, uh, that, that they would turn into a short film. So I thought, ooh, I wonder if there's something that could be done for wildlife on Mars. So 
looked at the the guidelines for the for the uh, for the storyboard contest, and it was like you had to use nine frames uh, for from the storyboard, and it had to be roughly about one to three minutes long. And I thought, oh, easy, I could easily do this. So I took uh, a score from which one was it? Now I think it was Peter Jackson's King Kong. Yeah. So it was the uh, the 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 oh what was it now uh, the Brontosaurus chase sequence. That score was the thing that kind of inspired what I was doing for this. Mm-hmm. So I did everything together, put it online, saw everyone else's entries coming in, and I thought I'm not going to stand a chance. Everyone else had some really bizarre, really good concepts, and I was one of the first ones in. And I thought I'm just going to get buried underneath yeah. everyone. And uh, I think the following was it month? Yeah, so it would have been January, February time got an email from the website saying, congratulations, you have won the contest. Yay! And I was just so <laughs> over the moon. I was like, yes, I'm going to get to make my film and I'm going to do all those. I'm part of the reward of this competition. You're going to go to London and meet Ray Harryhausen at his <gasps> house, which I will get onto in a minute because that was an amazing tea oh story. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you met him? Yeah. I, oh, I mean, to be honest, God. it was it would have been the fifth time actually meeting him. Four times I've met him at conventions, but this mm-hmm. would have been the first and only time that I would have actually seen him at his house, which mm-hmm. is a sad story in itself, but I'll get to that later. Um, so, yeah, so this, uh, so they told me about the, I won the contest, and it was like, right, brilliant, Wildlife on Mars is going to happen. What do I need to do? Where am I getting my funding from? I spoke to the guys down on the website, and they said, right, you have a month to make it, and you have to fund it yourself. Ouch. <laughs> yes. It's kind of a bit of a slap in the face. And knowing that at the time that I was unemployed, so I was on job seekers benefits, which didn't mm-hmm. help. Um, and this is for them to say you have to make this in a month is clearly that these people knew nothing about stop motion because what That's I had designed is like, that? you know, six months just to make everything, let alone right. as well. So it's like okay um that's my year um schedule out of the window i'll just have to do what i can so i built a prototype wire puppet of the rex character that i'd done from the first film and took that down to london and oh his house was amazing it was like an aladdin's cave of treasures you walked in the doorway and a on the stairs that was just in outside of view of the corridor was the cyclops from the seventh voyage of sinbad and when I went into his TV room, he had a bronze sculpture of his interpretation of Kong fighting the T-Rex from King wow. Kong, but it's the shape of Wangji. Um, he had his original Allosaurus puppet from One Million Years BC right next to it. And there was a part of me that was so relieved that my puppet was more or less the same scale as that Allosaurus. Oh, that's it's just cool. like, it was so yeah. nice. It was brilliant. I know people are thinking, he sounds very excited. You just see my hands waving around on the video feed. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> that's, that's passion, though. That's, huh. you know, I think that's wonderful. I think some of my, you know, the best qualities in people is when they're passionate about something. It's when everyone comes alive. It's lovely. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. So you met him. Did you have a cup of tea with Ray Harryhausen? Yes. Um, we. I was there with him for about three hours. And the first hour that I was there, he, he, I remember him saying, like, Oh, sorry, I, I, I forgot to offer. Uh, would you like a cup of tea? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. And I said, oh, I also have cookies as well. And I was like, <gasps> oh, he means biscuits. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so he's, yeah. He's lived in the UK 
since the 19, uh, what would it be now? 1960s, I think, or maybe the late 50s. Cookies. And he still said cookies. And it's like, after all that time, you'd think he would have learned to say oh, biscuits. Oh, no. I thought he meant actual <laughs> cookies. I was like, wow. He no, no, they, they, they were uh, rich tea biscuits, digestives, and hobnobs, if I remember rightly. So it was all wow. the classics. Hobnob, all the, the classics. ultimate tea dunking biscuit, the hobnob. Oh. Amazing. Yeah. Navy Seal biscuits. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it really is. That's incredible. I had no idea that you had a cup of tea with Ray Harryhausen. I mean, what a claim. What a claim to fame. I mean, do you ever sit there sometimes and think, oh, if only I could have had a cup of tea with that person? Like, there's a couple of people yeah. who've done things. And yeah. um, Terry Pratchett's my big one. Mm. I'm just like, oh, that would have been. I mean, I, I wouldn't have been able to say anything. <laughs> it's been very boring on Terry's half. I've just been like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like tea shaking and spilling all over the place. Oh, but yeah, that would have been. So you managed to have a tea with your hero. What a, what a joy. That's great. Yeah. I know people say as well, never meet your heroes because your image is just trashed by them. Yeah. But for Ray, that was the one exception that I can actually say that sitting down and having tea with him was the equivalent of sitting down with my late grandfather and just talking about movies all day long. It was just such a magical and memorable experience. And I honestly wish that, although I spoke to him over the phone a couple of times after that point, because when I met him, it was in 2012, and he passed away in May 2013, the following year. So I was hoping that, because when when I took the puppet down to show him, he said, oh, can I have a look? So I gave it over to him. And his eyes just lit up. Like, he was just like a kid in a candy shop, and he was just playing with the puppet. He was moving it around, opening the jaw, opening, asking questions about it, telling me what he didn't like about the puppet. And it was all, like, such a wash of emotions coming over. And I remember when I was le- getting ready to leave, um, he said he turned around and said to me, when you finish the film, make sure you give me a call and come back. I would like to see it with you. So he offered me wow. an additional invitation to come back with the finished mm-hmm. film. And it wasn't until uh, I got back from uh, from London, because, again, as I said before, I was on Job Seekers at the time. So I explained to the Job Centre uh, girls behind the desk that, you know, this amazing opportunity has come about. Um, I'll keep doing job searches. I'll, I'll still keep doing stuff, but I need to focus on this because this is a massive career-changing opportunity for me, mm. especially with something as big as this. And their response was, well, animation isn't a career, it's a hobby. You need to get a proper job and stop oh. living in the clouds. And that was probably one of the most, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, um, soul-destroying moments. Oh, um, so I got a job, tried to save up to try and make this film, and on my way home uh, from Poundland, of all places where I ended up living, uh, living working in the end, <laughs> uh, I then had a two-hour bus drive to get from Chorley all the way to Lytham St. Anne's, because I had just moved in with my now fiancé. Um, oh, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I got a phone call from the very same lad who uh, told me about the contest in the first place. And he said, are you sitting down, Mike? And I said, yes, I'm on my way home. Uh, why, what's to do? Thinking it was going to be something relevant for the animation festival. Mm. And he said, I'm, I'm really sorry to tell you this. Um, I've just heard that Ray has passed away. And I had to hold back the tears oh. all the way to St. Anne's, two hours on a bus, just thinking of all the opportunities that I missed because of one stupid comment at the job centre. Yeah. And then when I go, got home, I just broke down into tears and cr- I must have cried myself to sleep that night. I've never felt so 
emotional about I mean I've felt emotional about people passing away before especially family but for Ray it was like this this kindred spirit this, yeah, this about it, and and yeah it just slipped through my fingers and basically coming to a very long story short sorry about this everybody no, it's fine. <laughs> um uh yeah so in 2016 I decided what I was going to do was do this master's degree and this is what yeah. the short film is for because next year in 2020 uh, is Ray's 100th birthday and the foundation are doing a massive celebration they have a massive exhibit open in Scotland where they have all of his original puppets on display all his original artwork uh, they're probably going to be screening a couple of his films down there um, and they had they've been in touch with me for quite a few years and they've often referred to me sometimes on the sly as kind of like the friend of the foundation because of all the connections that I've had with Ray and they want me to finish this film so that they can showcase it at the celebrations next year. That's so brilliant. I fight tooth and nail at this university to get this short film made because yes. they are in their heels in about <laughs> what I should be doing on my course. It's like, oh, nope, okay. I don't care about your degree. I care about my <laughs> I'm here to make a movie. <laughs> amazing that's great so i i know there was an opportunity missed before but there's this new opportunity now and that you know it's kind of an homage really isn't it yeah exactly that's incredible there's a lot of ray that's going to be in this project as well i've been studying not just kind of like the early stuff that he did because that's primarily what my um thesis is on in the first place but also in understanding how he made his armatures because he learned from willis o'brien who worked on uh, king kong and he also uh, worked with the i forget the name of the armatures i think it was like a, a spanish name uh marcel something or other anyway you people are lucky up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he learned a lot of the skills from them which he and his father then built at the original armatures for all of his previous works up until about i think it was the first men in the moon was the last film that his father worked on so anything after that point, either Ray had learned to machine the parts themselves or he cannibalised it from existing puppets just to save down on costs, which is probably one of the main reasons why, from his earlier work, you'll never see any puppets apart from recreations or sculpts that he's made since the ones that he's lost. But then you'll get maybe half a Cyclops leg or you'll get something else and it's all been part put into a different puppet altogether. But, yeah, it's... Um, it's going to be quite an emotional project, this one, and I'm hoping, like fingers it. crossed, I can get it filmed because the amount of setbacks that I've had this year, again, all because of the wonderful University of Central Lancashire, <laughs> uh, just uh, putting in block after block after block, and it's just, it slowed me down to the point where technically now I've got until 4th of October to hand this film in, and I've just about started finishing up on the set. So I've okay. got a lot of work to do a lot between of work now to and do. Yeah. French time. Mm. But worth it. Uh-huh. And it will be that thing where you'll get to the other side of it and look at it and go, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, did exactly. that. And you can be fueled by two. Exactly. <laughs> Coffee. Maybe with a cheeky extra sugar in there. You know? <laughs> Treat yourself, Mike. Sugar? Half a bag. Half a bag, yeah. Let the, <laughs> let the spoon stand up and then you know you've got enough. Wow. That yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna be tired. <laughs> but I'm very, very what, uh, you know, it sounds like a bit of a, a life project. This one, so oh, this this has been my white whale project since 2012, effectively. So <laughs> it'd be nice to actually get the project finished and just yeah. don't focus on other things because I've got so many ideas rattling around in my head, all short films, but all to do with stop motion, whether it's teaching it or educating people about it, or even just to 
talk to people about Harryhausen and, and, you know, how much of an impact he left on the industry. Because I don't think people quite realise that throughout the 40s and the, to the 80s, he inspired people like Steven, uh, Steven Spielberg, uh, Peter Jackson, George Lucas, uh, Gail Toro, you know, and that's just the, yeah. the heavy hitters. It's the smaller artists after that. Most of the crew on Jurassic Park are mostly influenced by Ray Harryhausen. Mm. So you could almost argue that Jurassic Park in itself is almost like a subconscious love letter to everything that Ray Harryhausen yeah. was. And it's incredible the reach people have. And, yeah. that, you know, there'll be in ways that he went real. Like my nephew watching, mm. like watching movies and, oh no, that was Godzilla. But I'm sure he'd enjoy <laughs> Ray Harryhausen. And, but like young children like that watching these films, mm. that'll carry on through and affect, you know, their creativity yeah. and stuff in the future. Yeah. And you have no idea what the snowball effects are with these things. Exactly. And your film, <laughs> they'll see yeah. him go, there's going to be one child, you know, who goes around going, dinosaurs have four arms, actually, <laughs> to their friends. <laughs> you are going to spark a few arguments well, in the playground, I fear. You never but... know. You never know. I mean, I'm hoping that I might at least interest people to at least take up, like, the biology of Mars in itself, because mm. the, the, although this the, my premise is a completely fantasy-based idea, it's almost like, you know, if Mars had actually evolved into something, what would it be like? So it's like parallel universe, you know, fantasy yeah. idea. But because it comes that my release, film will be released the same year as Ray's anniversary, uh, centenary, sorry, and also the Mars 2020 project, I'm hoping that people that see this might get into then astrobiology, and look into the life that was actually on Mars. You know, I know we've got fossils of microbes that have been found up there, and we know the evidence of water up there, and who yeah. knows what actually might be under the surface or even the glacial um, areas that are on Mars. So you never know. I mean, th that's what I like about animation, is that it inspires people to go in so many different routes mm -hmm. that it's not just a lineal thing from, oh, I like watching this cartoon when I was a kid, therefore I'm going to do a cartoon. Because some of the people that were inspired by Ray, they went on to paleontology, they went on yeah. to filmmaking, they went on to um, they went on to art. I've seen people that have uh, done musicians that have just gone to do Harryhausen stuff. That are, you know, I think there's a band out there called Harryhausen's Perfect Six Foot Woman or something like that. Of like, which I shall be Spotifying. Yeah, it's, 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 I, I, I found it on YouTube, and it was the most random. I just typed in wow. Harryhausen. It was one of the first things that came up was like, "What an odd choice for a band, <laughs> but such an awesome name." <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, I've got band name envy. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. No, you're totally right. The reach these things have. Mm. Um, because that's, you know, half of creativity is just being inspired by something, isn't it? You go around, like, if I write a song, it'll be because of, like, something will trigger it, won't it? And, yeah. like, all your ideas for animation, something, you'll see something or you'll hear something, you'll be like, oh, and it happens. The little spark. It's the worst. You know, when you sit there and you're like, I need to have an idea. Nothing yeah. will happen. Yeah. Nothing at all. It's happened so many times. I'm like, okay, sit down, do something. No, it can't come out of thin air. Yeah. You've got to have that. You've yeah. got that starting point. You really How do. How exciting, though. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so, guys, yeah, if you're listening, please check out the Ray Harryhausen, what's sense? So the, the, the full uh, foundation is the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation. Uh, they're doing loads of posts on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. They have a podcast themselves as well, which is also by the same name. So you can go check them out and hear them talk about everything, Harryhausen officials, 
stuff from interviews from the foundation trustees and half of those are either really good friends of mine or the, the people that I would love to meet, um, especially, mm-hmm. um, what was the name of the director now? Um, John, uh, Steve Johnson, he directed uh, the, uh, what was it called? Um, Sherlock Gnomes. <laughs> there you go. Try, try to think of for a second. Of all like... things you could have said then, <laughs> Sherlock Gnomes was not top of the list of things yeah. I would say. It was a very, obs- very obscure reference put in there. It was like, I need to meet this man. He's amazing. <laughs> That's, oh, wow. Yes. Yes, Sherlock Gnomes. That's, that's great. I, I really look forward to seeing your finished animation. Oh, thank you very much. I'm, going to be... I'm hoping there's going to be a lot of people that are going to look forward to seeing it. It's yeah. A, it's a passion project for me, but I know that anything that's animation related to a lot of people, they either pe- take it with a pinch of salt or they immediately turn a negative um, eye to it in that, oh, it's animation, it must be for kids, and they don't pay attention to it, which oh, is a little bit okay. sad sometimes, but... It's. It, I think it's just down to the way people. I, don't, I think we might have on our hands a slight generation of um, adult children. I'm. I think me and Jack definitely fall into that category. Definitely. I spend <laughs> disproportionate amount of my time playing video games and watching <laughs> cartoons. So <laughs> I think wherever it's. Um, people make jokes about all the grown-ups going to like Disneyland and stuff mm. like that now, and all together and things. And I think it's just the way of it. I think we all had these. We were very fortunate to have these very rich childhoods. Yes. where we could watch, you know, Saturday morning cartoons and mm. do all these things. And then we're also very fortunate that we've grown up in a time where no one's really stopping us from doing that as adults. Yes, <laughs> so that's very true. Yeah. And that we're allowed to have free time and <laughs> buy a Nintendo Switch if we can and <laughs> and look forward to the new Zelda game, which is going mm. to be a joy. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'll um, when I release this podcast, which will be, um, I think I did one last weekend, so not next Sunday, Sunday after, or mm-hmm. today, if you're listening to this, which would make more sense. Um, I'll make sure that I post some links to Mike's stuff and you can have a look and um, check out his projects and what he's doing. Um, but before I only, you know, start to do any wrapping up here, I need to ask you a very important question, Mike. This is mm-hmm. an argument that is um, going strong in the household here and I feel it will rage for years to come. Would you ever <laughs> put milk first? Before a tea bag in a cup of tea. Oh no, 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 no! Has to be tea bag and sugaring first. Sugar, hot okay. water, then mm. give it a stir for probably about maybe twenty to thirty seconds, yes. and then put your milk in because I yes. want to make sure all my sugar is dissolved because I am so angry at people when they put the sugar and the tea bag in, and then just immediately throw the milk and the hot water together. It's like, how is the sugar supposed to dissolve? Because then you get that slushy, lumpy mess at the bottom that just comes down like a treacle. No, 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 no. It has to be sugar and water and then milk. And then milk. Mike, you're a good man. (laughs) (laughs) You're a wonderful host. (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, and before we go, I wanted to do a quick plug to hashtag tea hour on Twitter. So I was on there for the first time yesterday and it was great. So if you like tea and you're listening to this podcast and you're on Twitter, I would definitely recommend um, on a Tuesday at seven, I believe, clicking on that hashtag. People were just talking about all sorts of lovely things. There were cakes going around. There was different tea based items. There was just some like general people who do kind of crafting and make things. There's someone who just like stuff out of wood. Um, and I found a really great person on there um, called Kimberly 
who has a tea blog. So definitely check that out. I'll put some links up to that soon as well. And inspired by our chat today, Mike, I invited her onto the podcast as well, because now I know I can do podcasts without someone being in the room with me, which is great. (laughs) I'll hopefully be having Kimberly on soon as well. But yeah, thanks, Mike, so much for chatting to me and having a good tea. Cheers, a virtual cheers to you. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, until next time, everyone. Thank you very much. Goodbye.